Hello and welcome. As always, I'm Abby. This is Stories Lived, Stories Told. And here's my question for today. What are new ways that we can try to connect with each other? Again, quite a big question. And again, we're talking about connection because today we're continuing our conversation with Art and Terry about their current project, What Now? Canaries in Camo. This is an issue that affects all of us, the lives and stories of veterans and the way we relate to them. And that's more of what we're going to talk about today with Bart and Terry, um, their experiences and some of the hopes they have about new ways of connecting with each other. So let's jump back in with Bart and Terry. Bart, I'm curious not to put you on the spot. Can you speak to that experience at all? If you'd feel comfortable like sharing any of your own stories with that disconnection or maybe some of your colleagues' stories that you've heard of other veterans? Sure. I, I think that, that that brings up two things for me. One is uh, this notion of tribe that veterans have because it's a very close bond and it's the thing that they miss the most when they leave the military and it makes them so much it makes it so much harder for them to re-engage in a space where they maybe don't see that same level of uh, intimacy that same level of uh commitment uh we mentioned purpose earlier that we don't see what the purpose is that people are really uh believe in something strongly enough to die for that not only that thing but for the other people that they're with uh, which is uh, not unique to uh, military organizations, but it certainly is a quality that uh, just about every military organization has, that, that sense of deep commitment. Uh, Sebastian Junger wrote about that. He was a, not a military veteran, but he was a journalist who was embedded with uh, troops, and he spent quite about quite a lot of time with them and came to understand them in a way that veterans, you know, even today, when you, when you tell a, a group of veterans that's having a meeting and that Sebastian Junger is going to be there and he's going to talk, they'll all show up because mm-hmm. they have a great deal of respect that he gets that. Yeah, yeah. He understands where they're coming from. So the other corollary to that closeness and, and again that's uh, you know the question is do we need to learn from that do we need to try to recreate that and then there, there's something of a dark side to that too so that brings up the issue of moral injury which is not something that's talked about probably outside of the psychology community at all and, and even veterans have difficult time talking about it what veterans tend to talk about is post-traumatic stress in other mm-hmm. words i've been in combat uh, we've had difficult things happen Regardless of what those difficult things are, this is you know uh, a lot of violence going on, a lot of un, you know, uh, unanticipated harm uh, that's going on, a lot of quote unquote collateral damage that is deeply unsettling. So when we start sorting through all of that, in the end, the question is: Did we? What did what we do was was it necessary? Was it in keeping with our values? Was it for a purpose? And did everybody do their part? And we're starting to see now that veterans are coming back with stories that they really can't share. When you talk about untold stories, a lot mm-hmm. of those stories are about incidents that we would recognize as a moral injury. And it's and those tend to sort out into two different categories. One is the moral injury where 
we did we did not fulfill uh, our purpose. We did not fulfill our mission. Uh, somehow we came up short, and then now there, there's guilt and shame that come uh, as feelings with that until those issues are resolved in some way. And the sharing it with the and share the sharing responsibility that Terry mentioned is really an important part of that healing. And I think a lot of the the work that some good work with, uh, that the VA and other organizations have been doing in the contemporary space with veterans have worked on that piece of uh, uh, of uh, absolving that. And the other kind of moral injury is a betrayal. Those are a little harder. That's where the system that put us where we are uh, somehow didn't do the right thing. The people mm. who were in charge didn't do the right thing. There were horrendous consequences for that. We have a, a strong uh, movement in the veteran community now around the damage done to our Afghan partners, as an example for us uh, as a country, mm-hmm. deciding we weren't going to stay involved there anymore. And the way that we did it, uh, which was very felt, it was experienced, it was felt by veterans uh, that had friends who were Afghan nationals who had been, we had shared purpose with them. And all of a sudden now we're, we're not going to be there for you anymore. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those veterans have actually gone back and engaged in different ways uh, to try to, to heal that. But that, that those are some examples of what could be classified as a moral injury that are probably a part of a lot of veteran stories. And somehow the broader audience for whatever reason, it's not penetrating through the sound bites. It's not penetrating yeah. through the the, the conventional uh, means to understand what that means for all of us. Yeah. One of the quotes that stuck with me that you're making me think of again is that one of the veterans in your sample was talking about when you are serving, you're just following orders. And then when you return home, you're kind of just waiting for your next order and it never comes. And I thought that was a really fascinating way to put it and helped me to understand that made sense to me. And again, I appreciate, you know, the language. And like you said, how you've seen so many of these veterans to be so articulate about their experience, because it does help to create that connection that, that, that felt like an understanding moment, a kind of like aha moment for me of like, oh, of course that makes so much sense that that would be a real challenge. And what, yeah, what does it look like then to respond to that. And I think that's part of the question you all seem to be asking is, okay, we've identified an issue, a disconnect, something that we could be all doing better. We could be showing up better for each other. And then what does that actually look like to show up for each other in a new connected kind of way? Um, And I think the question that I'm kind of left with, which, you know, Terry, you touched on earlier that you were part of anti-war protests. And, you know, I think many Different people can have many different feelings about war and whatnot. But I wonder, the question I'm that keeps lingering for me is how, I guess I have two different ways to ask it. How can I be, you know, anti-war without being anti-veterans or anti the people who serve? And then just a flip side way of asking that is how can I be pro-veterans? How can I support veterans and the people who serve without supporting war and violence and unnecessary pain? Well, for some reason, this metaphor of the way that we are now having a more nuanced conversation in this country about 
our relationship with uh, policing mm-hmm. comes to mind. Uh, and in, in, there are some areas of similarity, but there are also some huge differences between military operations and police work. But the uh, uh, the work of, da- of uh, Paul Chappell uh, that Terry mentioned earlier mm-hmm. comes into mind. How do we use these ideas that come from the military practice, military leadership, military literature, uh, military ways of being, uh, particularly Sun Tzu? Uh, how do we use those to create peace? And if you read enough of it, you see that the, the objective of any very good uh, and seasoned military commander is to not fight. It's to achieve your goal, which is to say not fighting uh, through convincing people who maybe would like to fight with you that it just mm-hmm. wouldn't be worthwhile uh, at all to do that and that there are better ways uh, to engage. And, uh, and, and Paul's shown how much we rely on order, discipline, these things that are part of military culture as part of our daily lives, but we don't see them as that because they're invisible. It's like water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we, we walk down the street taking for granted that somebody's not going to randomly take a pot shot at us or just, you know, come up and take something out of our pocket just because we're there. We have conventions in society that say we don't do those things. And then when we start removing, uh, I think Barnett Pierce used to refer to these as good constraints to action. So all, not all actions are good ones. Uh, and we start removing the good constraints. Then we start seeing what what could be a uh, a situation that we don't want to be a part of. We don't want, we don't want to even envision being a part of. So I think appreciating what we're what what this force is. I think somebody else made the comment uh, along the lines that. Uh, nobody is born a veteran, right? Everybody comes to serve because of that. That's that's a trajectory of their life. It's of choices they make in their life that they want to do that. And usually those choices are based on wanting to serve. It's based on uh, wanting to be a part of something greater than yourself. And so those are good forces. And uh, as we reimagine, I guess, our relationship with uh, soldiers, with members of the military, and uh, how they are part of a society. And this is where Cosmopolis comes in. How are we all affected by that, even if we are all not participants in the direct actions of it? How do we all play a part into this broader social system that creates this peace and prosperity and this togetherness, and as, as Alfred Adler would say, the social feeling of being together that we, we all really want at, at a very deep level. Terry, what would you say about the tangible ways for us to find that connection? Well, I think that really what we're talking about, and I think what the film's purpose is, is to open these conversations. I think that um, we don't talk about this, you know, as I started with, we don't know veterans very well because it's easy for lots of all the reasons we've been talking about to be separated. Um, And... And so I think that conversation, bridging that gap, taking that civilian responsibility, I think is a very 
important conversation. I also think that the conversation that you and Bart are talking about now about war is a very important conversation that we don't really have. I mean, we're living in a country now that doesn't, uh, you know, really vote on whether we go to war. We yeah. haven't voted in Congress on whether mm. we're going to war. We don't even call them wars. We call them actions. I mean, at one point, one of the veterans in the retreat said, and somebody told me about something we're doing in Africa. What are we doing in Africa? You know, yeah. it was, yeah, what are we doing in Africa? I mean, we don't even know. So I think, and I also think that, you know, as I said, and and with the film as if they were angels, that World War II story seemed and felt like a very different story from the sense of it being very purposeful. People get called upon to do things. But if the only way that we do these things is with military actions, then we end up in a situation, for example, Ukraine right now, it looks like World War II. You know, it's it's bombs and tanks, and we should have alternative ways to decide what we do about conflicts and issues that threaten the world. I'm not saying they don't threaten the world. And I'm not being Pollyanna that we will always avoid conflicts. But I think our conversations around them, our sense of alternatives is very limited. The situation in Afghanistan, the way we left, I just think that's a really good example of what is problematic in having so few ways to deal with conflict, to be skilled and to be ready to engage in so few ways. And I think that's why this idea of waging peace is very important. Paul also has literally developed a curriculum for kids in schools, for colleges, for adults, which he calls peace literacy, which is addressing different ways, alternative ways to deal with aggression, to deal with violence, to deal with conflict in a world where we have school shootings all the time. This is very important. All of these things are very important for a lot of different reasons. This is going very broad, but the reality is that like Cosmopolis, which is envisioning a whole different society and with some sense of the way to get there, right? We These conversations are important for us to be having to get anywhere other than where we are now. And so I think, you know, I think the Surgeon General making a statement that we are a country of, how do he put it, basically, that we're a country of isolation, that yeah. we are a country of disconnection. And there is one part of the quote which resonated with some of the veterans a lot. Rebuilding social connection must be a top public health priority for mm -hmm. our nation. It will require reorienting ourselves, our communities, and our institutions to prioritize human connection and healthy relationships. I mean, that's the person who is in charge of the national health. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I think we see this very, in a very precise and concise way among veterans. Another example 
was I went to a, a film, another uh, documentarian had done something about veterans. And there was a Q&A afterwards with a panel of veterans. And there was a woman who said, you know, I kind of had the best you can expect. I came back and I had some people helping me get work and I got a job in a big corporation and it was a good paying job. And I stepped in, you know, to this with every reason to feel like, okay, I had really gotten where I needed to be. And she said, and nobody had each other's backs. Nobody was looking out for the other guy in any way at all. Everybody was out for themselves and scrambling to get someplace. If they had to scramble over somebody to get there, they would do it. And this goes back to Bart's statement about tribe and Sebastian Unger's work. She said, I had to quit because it was so unhealthy. Now, she's coming from that veteran world of connection and tribe and, you know, community, um, which is powerful among veterans. But my thought when she said that was, that's not healthy for any of us. You know, the fact that we walk into those jobs all the time and don't feel like that's somehow not the way it has to be is says something about us that at this point in time is making it difficult in our own culture with suicides, which veteran suicide rates have been over the top for a long time. Um, Now people are talking about young people's suicides in America and, you know, on and on and on. The parallels go on. And I just think we have to recognize these, um, the need for some of this rethinking and some of this conversation and some of this sense of interconnection. I think one of the things you mentioned in watching as if they were angels, the impulse again to look away. Yeah. And my dad used to say this. My dad was obviously one of the rescued in that film. And he used to say that what the Newfoundlanders who came out and saved all the American sailors from this disaster, or saved at least nearly half, Mm -hmm. they were interdependent. They lived in small fishing communities at the edge of the the, um, continent, really. Yeah. They were interdependent. Everything they did, they needed the community to make it all work. So when there was a disaster off their shore, they did what they would have done for any of them, which is go out together Mm. and do what they had to do to save lives. Regardless of who the lives were, they certainly didn't know any of those people. And so that interdependence, just like the the tribe that Bart was talking about, is is an important piece of humanity. And, you know, losing it sometimes may look like liberation. I don't think that's what it pans out to be. I think the interdependence and the interconnection is life-giving. So I think that's the the story that needs to be told. Bar, 
I want to direct the next question at you first, because I know that you have lots of other work um, that you've done with veterans and the stories and taking this communication perspective. So I'm curious about your answers to these questions in terms of what now and this project you're working on now, but also your other work, what is challenging about the work that you do with veterans and storytelling, but also what is meaningful about it? Boy, those those things are wrapped up pretty tightly together. You yeah, know, what's I imagine. challenging and what's meaningful is uh, the, the things that need to be done. Yeah. And that makes them challenging. They are, uh, again, what uh, you know, Barnett Pierce and Vern Cronin might have called wicked problems. They're, they're so complex. And the complexity is what makes it hard for traditional thinking, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, traditional institutions to uh, to go ahead and make a change. I had uh, one one of my Marine veterans, and and again, I want to bring some of those voices in because they they, they respond to these things, you know, in, in really interesting ways. And one, we were talking about how do you manage change in a military organization because they value tradition among other things. They're also very pragmatic, so if they there's something that gives them an advantage, they will they will embrace it. But uh, one of my Marine officers said, you know, the, the the style of organizational change we have in the Marine Corps is the leaders come in and say, stop doing that, start doing this. <laughs> and uh, it, that's, you know, one way to create right. change. But but another way is, is to understand what you're making together. And uh, we've talked uh, uh, again in some of, with some of the, the CMM models in what uh, what makes a difference. And we have particularly found it to be uh, helpful in the concept of resilience in terms of uh, military members who are called to operate and interoperate in uh, across cultures and i think there's some very hopeful signs that are going on in in the the military and veteran space one is the uh, the, the shift of our national strategy from you know, we we tend to look at enemies and friends and that's not always the, the maybe the best way to look at the world but the uh, the the shift in the way the military uh, operates with others we're, we're realizing that globally we're more interconnected than we've ever been, and that will will have to be yeah. uh, the case going forward, even more so than it has been. So the shift has been to creating alliances and strengthening alliances, and part of that is intercultural competency, uh, it, and it also helps to uh, prevent some of the things we have seen uh, happen as moral injuries that are unintended consequences that happen when we have an intercultural misunderstanding. You know, uh, an action that was not intended as hostility is interpreted as such, and the reaction is uh, then uh, uh, not not anything anybody wanted. So that area of uh, you know, we work on on military training and how do we create a, a stronger capacity for intercultural competency, which means the communication, the interaction piece, since we're, we're not coming from the same shared uh, understandings always, we put more emphasis on those coordinating elements and how do we continue to operate uh, and get things done when the you know th- these little f- red flags come up where the cultural alignment isn't necessarily getting the job done for us 
the other thing I think that uh, that I heard uh, mentioned is this notion of when we uh, these unintended consequences. Uh, again, Vern uh, Cronin and Barnett Pierce uh, had a little model in CMM that, that maybe didn't come the most prevalent one, but it was called the URP, the Unwanted Repetitive Pattern, which basically is something that you get people together in a certain context mm -hmm. and then things we don't want to happen, happen. And one of our uh, former past year CMM Institute fellows, Darren Murray, did a study of URPs and he mm -hmm. found, you know, there were some interesting uh, characteristics. One is the lack of potential alternatives. So in other words, if we don't see more than the world and more than black and white, mm -hmm. uh, if we don't see a range and a palette of things that we can do together uh, that are in betwixt and between, and, and the, the utility of that, that gives us uh, the more a, a greater likelihood that things we don't want to have happen will happen. And then the other two, uh, there's actually six, but the, there are three that stand out for me. And that's one is this this uh, lack of, of alternatives. Another right. one is contextual force is is playing an inordinate amount. In other words, we feel like I'm you know, we're wearing this uniform. We're in this environment. This happens over here. I've got to do this. Yeah. That is a, a URP producing dynamic. And then the last one is uh, uh, an over-reliance of emotionality. And, and I think that's why you see in military culture over the years, uh, at, at different times, there's a, a great deal of uh, emphasis placed on mental discipline. Uh, it's a literature called stoicism. You know, how do we keep those uh emotions from driving our actions and that we and so that i think the trick is not to make it uh completely go over to logic because the forces of logic don't mm -hmm. always get us there either and so that's we look at this middle space and this this ability to be flexible this ability to also uh listen and co-create the reality going forward uh, I'm hearing that come out of psych the psychologists now. Uh, I wasn't hearing that two or three years ago. Uh, I just had a panel last week uh, with a couple of uh, the fairly prominent VA psychologists, and they're they're talking more about integrative strategies mm. and also about how do we have the capacity for veterans to co-create, you know, one, you know, first and primary their own post-military life. Yeah, yeah. How do they fit in? Not just, okay, pick another alternative. You know, if, okay, you're not going to be this, we're going to put another suit on you and you're going to go be that. They maybe don't want to get get into that again. You know, mm -hmm. the old song by The Who, we don't get fooled again. You know, if, if something didn't work, yeah. we're not going to necessarily just un unquestioningly go in that direction again. We need to find our place so we're a part of something, but we're finding it in a dynamic way. Mm -hmm. Not in a just kind of a take this off and put that on. You know, stop doing this, start doing that. Well, just one of the things that that brought to mind that I think is really an important part of this in terms of the additional con conversations mm -hmm. and what Bart is talking about about alternatives, which I think are what we would hopefully come up with if we had more conversations, more open conversation about this and connection around those conversations. So there's, uh, you know, engagement um, on, on all sides. But um, I think this idea of service 
is something that has been just kind of dismissed um, many times. It, it's not like it hasn't come up. Obviously, we have the Peace Corps. We have, you know, Teach for America. There are things like this um, and people engage in them. But I think one of the things that came from the veterans retreat um, was this sense, first of all, that veterans want to continue to serve. You know, several of the veterans referenced, we we serve, we, it's in our blood. We, we want to continue to do that. That urge to serve is significant and meaningful and authentic. Um, but the idea that how much easier it would be for veterans to return to a culture that did have more emphasis on purpose right. and emphasis on service. If they came home and they, you know, the and one of the veterans, um, Joel, makes a comment about this. If we came home and, you know, we were coming back to a country where people had served, maybe not necessarily military service, but had served and understood what that was. And not just the understanding of it, um, but the impact of the experience of serving. If we all served in some way in our society, how different of a culture, a society would we be? I would guess tremendously different because we all know what it feels like to live a period of our time, our life, you know, in service to something bigger than ourselves. And so, you know, I think that needs to be part of this conversation about alternatives yeah. and those you know, include, you know, we've talked about a lot of of inclusion there, but I think service is a big part of it. And it certainly connects to that humanity piece that we talked about and uh, yeah. and to alternatives to war. You know, there are there's anyway, um it it's it's important and I think it's time. I, I'm hoping it's time for us to really have these conversations. I really like that point. You've both, you know, used the word integration in this conversation and that feels like just like a little bit, you know, crack the door, you know, kind of get an inch into this conversation for people who really don't know veterans or haven't heard their stories. And so I think the, you know, first step into kind of what I'd call complicating the narrative or, you know, starting to hear this story is to think in terms of integration, because I think in a very simplistic way, the way that, you know, to use kind of the language you both use, citizens relate to veterans is I'd say a lot of pity and just not understanding of what the reality of that experience is like, because as you've mentioned, we don't ask or we ask the wrong questions in insensitive ways. And it's interesting to think that, you know, it's kind of like dismissive of people's experience in the military and then saying, come back to, you know, the civilian world where everything is great. And of course you would want to be in this world, but we can kind of humble ourselves to say, well, there's not there's things that are not perfect about 
our world too. Yes, we're not, you know, serving in war, but what can we take from the peace that we experience at home? But also, like you said, the beauty of things like service and purpose and these things that veterans have, you know, learned from their experiences and really integrate instead of, you know, just, will you just forget about that and come do our way of being, which is disconnected and isolated. Um, so it's an integration and kind of using that as a perspective feels like at least a good first step in for people um, to, yeah, start reconceptualizing these stories. I like what you said earlier, the quote from the Surgeon General about really framing this as a public health issue. And again, making it really everybody's issue. It affects everybody. As we wrap up a little bit, I just want to spend a few more minutes with both of you. I really appreciated uh, this whole conversation already, but I just want to invite you again to say any last things that you want to leave us with before we do wrap up. I just, um, I, I have to say that uh, it, I think Bart would agree. It took us a long time to get to a focus that was really meaningful um, in part because there are films out there about veterans. There are stories out there about veterans. And so, um, you know, what do you say that adds to the conversation mm -hmm. that, that um, adds something meaningful? And um, so I think that the journey has it's taken us a bit, but I think that where we are now with everything that we've been talking about is just kind of um, a very significant moment to bring these stories out, to let people see and hear the faces and the heart and the, you know, um, the difficulties, the the conundrum of being a veteran returning, and it's it's not all about combat vets. It they're trained, no matter what they actually do. Mm -hmm. There's, I'm not saying it's all the same, but it definitely is all creates a disconnect, a difficulty to reintegrate, to be integrated, mm -hmm. and so. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I'm just very glad that we're here, that we're talking about this, and that uh, we have the opportunity, because of these incredible veterans who allowed us in, to let them tell their stories and to let them connect to uh, uh audience out there and to have that uh, happen, on, uh, hopefully, you know, film can be an emotional medium and uh, it is talking and hearing and seeing, but it also uh, provides the opportunity for a lot of heart. Yeah. So hopefully that's where we go. Yeah, to add to that, one of the things that I guess we're talking about a little bit of a preview of, of what the film might be. So one of the questions I would want to throw out to the audience in, your, uh, in our podcast is uh, where do you think an audience could be found? Uh, mm -hmm. How do we reach that audience uh, with the sort of things that we're talking about that would create space for the kinds of conversations that we're, we're uh, describing here that we want to have? And we have uh, 
been talking about this for however long we've been working on this project, which is, is this something that we designed to be shown at, on college campuses as we think mm. about uh, you know, political issues, uh, you know, global, uh, global security. Uh, so that's part of the issue is that there are a lot of people talking about those things, but they're in isolated pockets. Mm -hmm. So there are geeks about national security. There are geeks about international relations. Yeah, yeah. There are geeks about peace building. And, and we, we really want to get this into the broader uh, sphere so right. that we can create more space for a conversation that really is transformative of what we've been doing is how do we do this better together in a way that reflects our values and our intentions and our purpose in a way that we can all agree that we share. Uh, making a small segue, uh, one of the things that we have had a, a conversation about internally in the military psychology program at Adler is the intersectionality, to use a, use a good uh, word, yeah. uh, for this purpose between the military uh, uh, members' experience and families. We don't mm -hmm. usually say military and families, and we, but it's understood in the military community the family is part of the service commitment uh, that an individual makes. So how do we uh, have this uh, address this intersectionality between military family being isolated and mm -hmm. other groups that are marginalized in our population who are feeling not included, uh, not a part of it. And so uh, we've learned a lot, I think, from having DEI type of conversations in and around the military. Mm -hmm. uh, military members see the things that civilian communities get worked up about as being less of an issue, but they see things that people are not paying attention to as being more of an issue. For example, race is not the main uh, issue of division within the military. It's everybody wears the same uniform. Everybody subscribes to the same values to a certain degree. Uh, there's a, at least an overlap enough that people, uh, they would turn around and say, that person is my brother or sister. That person's got my back. Doesn't make any difference what color they are, what gender they are, uh, any other difference that might exist. But there are some important things that could be changed within the military culture that would, for example, uh, bring in more uh, uh, collaboration across difference than uh, you know just what we have. What we have in the military is a, a, a very much an industrial age specialization, right? We have people that are trained to operate electronic mm -hmm. equipment. We have people that are trained to uh, you know use weaponry. Uh, there are people that are trained to gather intelligence and interpret that. So we're still a little fragmented along those lines, and maybe there's some things that we could learn as well. But the conversation is a different one. I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's a very hopeful thing. One of the things we were asked in a, in a, a reunion uh, format of the, the Navy a couple of months ago, uh, some of us folks who have been out of uniform for quite a while are wanting to know what's going on mm -hmm. uh, in the military culture. So I think that that's one, hopeful, uh, that the young folks are figuring it out. And second is we need to maybe learn a little bit from that, too. Also, I would add to Bart kind of opened this up with, you know, where are the audiences? We, as I said, part of our sample is limited by the fact that that's what we 
have on video at this point. That's what we've shot. And so there is much more to do. And we're very engaged with different groups and organizations that are making the effort to bring civilians and veterans together in a significant and um, effective way can bring civilians and and military uh, and veterans together. But we are interested in those programs. So if your audience has thoughts or Mm -hmm. ideas about where that's happening, where there is a significant coming together of veterans and civilians in a way that is having that kind of Mm -hmm. impact, that would be wonderful for us to know about because we we can go anywhere, but we can't know about everywhere. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's good. And I appreciate that because, uh, you know, part of our conversation, I think we've been dancing around is how, how do we engage people um, in just their real lives and relationships? Um, but also how how can we engage people more directly with this project that is, yes, yeah, still in the middle of being developed and has potential and possibilities and openness to find something meaningful. So yes, that's good. The big, the invitation is extended for everyone to help uh, keep bringing this project to life. And I'll be, I'll be excited to see what the final result ends up being. And I appreciate you all sharing what you have with me already. Thank you very much for doing this. It's very meaningful to me. I know it is to Bart and, uh, you know, it's part of beginning this conversation. Yeah. All of it. So thank you very much for opening that door. It has been a great pleasure. Thank you. Okay. That is all for our conversation with Bart and Terry. I'm so glad you were able to join us for this very meaningful episode. The questions I would have you keep in mind as you reflect on part one and part two of this conversation are the ones that I have written out at the top of the show notes. They are, what does it look like to show up for each other in newly connected ways? How can we reorient ourselves to prioritize human connection and relationships? And then how can we break out of unwanted repetitive patterns by engaging in conversations that open us up to alternatives we may never have considered. I think these are good things um, to take away from our conversation today, as much of our conversation did center around kind of acknowledging that the patterns we're in now are maybe not serving us in the best way, not serving our veterans, not um, serving our stories in the best way, but that if we can create the space for conversation, then Maybe that in and of itself could generate new ideas about how we can get connected to each other. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, and as Terry and Bart talked about, their project is still a work in progress, and they'd love for you to be involved in any way that you can. So you can reach out to me in all the usual ways, through email, through the website, um, and through Instagram and YouTube. If you want to get connected to them, I'd be happy to connect you. As always, I am supported by the CMM Institute. This podcast is one of many initiatives that tries to help us create that better social world we're working towards. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being curious. And thank you for being a part of this story. I'm Abby, and this has been Stories Lived, Stories Told. 